Viktor Frankl, who was uh, experienced the horrors of the Nazi death camps, the concentration camps during the Holocaust, he defined despair and he used a formula. The formula was D equals S minus M, which means despair equals suffering minus meaning. In other words, if you're suffering and you don't know why, you don't have any reason for it, it leads to despair. It leads to depression. And, and the despair that leads to pr- depression can sometimes be physical. And, and, and that's what I want to talk about this weekend. I want to talk about depression. And I'm not really talking about physical depression. And I know that uh, there are a number of people who struggle with physical depression. And um, I believe that we are, we are bodies and we are souls or we are of a material and an immaterial part and that we can be spiritually depressed and it can affect us physically. I think we can be physically depressed and it can affect us spiritually. And I think they're kind of so intertwined that you just can't cut them apart. They really affect one another. And so uh, I, I don't mean to speak about physical depression and the treatment for that, whether it's going through counseling, whether it's going through uh, medications and prescriptions, as much as I want to talk about spiritual depression, because I believe that as we read through Psalm 42 and 43 this weekend, you're going to see the psalmist is depressed, spiritually depressed. And, and the interesting thing about it, if you were to ask uh, people, especially Christians, have you ever been spiritually depressed? If they were honest with you, they would probably say, yeah, I have been. But the interesting thing is it's not something that we would ever admit to somebody because we assume that because we're a Christian, we should never be spiritually depressed. It should never happen to us. We should never feel that way. But what I want to show you is that this is a natural part of the Christian life. And what I want to do is I want to describe how we can move into a a state where we're spiritually depressed and how do we move out of that state. That's essentially what I want to do this, this weekend. So I want to look at Psalm 42 and 43, which speak of the spiritual side of depression. And again, in these Psalms, the writer is battling his own spiritual depression. And I think he can guide us. So what I want to do is I want to begin with Psalm 42. I'm to read the first six verses of Psalm 42. And you'll catch off really quickly what he's struggling with. And, and, and this will be a, uh, one of those psalms that you said, oh, I've heard that psalm before, especially the first line. As the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. He doesn't anymore. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. And then notice the last line. My soul is downcast within me. Well, there it is. My soul is downcast. He's describing somebody who's spiritually depressed. 
And you say, well, how do you get there? How do you get to a place where you, you become spiritually depressed? What, what, is, what are some of the causes that lead to that? And I think there's a number of them, and I think he hints at them as we just read through that passage. Let's look at those. The first one is, you, you have no support community. You, you're out there on your own. Notice what he says. He, he basically describes his situation. And the only people he's describing are his enemies. He's not describing any friends in there. He essentially says, I don't have anybody around me. Oh, yeah, I do. I have a few people around me. But they're, they're questioning me, where is your God? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, those are the kind of friends I have. So he's saying, I'm alone. I'm alone. Now, here's the thing. We all need community. Whether you know it or not, we all need community. Now, that used to be, generations gone past, used to be extended family. Well, now the extended family is all over the place, right? Most of us would say, uh, we're not living with our, our families not close by. They're over, they're, they're, you know, they're three states over, two states over. They're, they're, they're a drive away. They're not in the same community. Uh, those days pretty much have changed. With the invention of the automobile and the interstate highway and the, the freedom to travel, our families are all over the place. So now the question is, the family used to be part of our community. We don't have that anymore. So where do we go? Where do we go? Because we all need community. And the other part of it is some of us have community or we have family around us. But guess what? They don't share the spiritual, the same spiritual desire and hunger and relationships that we have. And so when we start talking with them to them about Jesus or something, they kind of get upset or they, they, they think we're crazy. And you say, well, who do you talk to? Who do you have? Who do you have that are not just, and again, I'm not talking about acquaintances. Many of us have acquaintances. I'm talking about a friend. I'm talking about somebody who knows you, somebody who gets you. Most of us would say, I have hundreds of acquaintances. But we'd be very lucky if we could say, I have three really good friends in this life. I mean, think about it. If you could think of who are the top three people that you would say, these people would be my friends. Maybe you'd say, well, I'd have to say, maybe I have one. Maybe I have two. But we need those people in our lives. The thing is, you could quickly fall into spiritual dryness or depression because you lose your community. Uh, they're gone. They leave. They move. And, and, and you need to build new relationships. It may be that five years ago you had those connections, you had those friends, but they were transferred because of work or their family moved. And now you don't have them. And, and moving and re, you know, re-equipping those relationships or picking up new relationships is hard work. And, and you say, well, how do I do it? Where do I go? And, and, and so it, it's really important. So who, who is it in your life that, that knows you well enough to hold you accountable, that knows that when you're, 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 you're kind of moving into spiritual depression or things, the wheels are coming off in your life, and they can see it, and they can kind of, they have the per- permission to kind of, to come into your life and ask you about it. Um, who is talking with you about your spiritual walk? Who is going to notice when you're not doing well? Um, who are you learning with and, and who are you praying with? Who are, those, who are those people in your life that you would say, um, maybe there's two or three people in your, in your whole life that they're your they're spiritual grounding people. They're the people you look to, right? 
Uh, the writer of Hebrews says something very interesting, and I think we often take this verse the wrong way. I used to. Let me read it to you. This is Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. The writer of Hebrews says, And let us consider how we may spur on one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day coming. Now, here's how many Christians interpret this verse, and here's how I used to interpret it. You should gather together, uh, you know, and in, in this building, I don't want to call this building the church because this isn't the church. We are the church, okay? This is a beautiful building, but it, it's not the church. The church is us, right? So as we gather together, so I used to think this was telling us that we need to assemble together. We need to gather together and, and not forsake that. As the day is coming, I even thought when I was a new Christian, as the Sunday was coming. So as Sunday is approaching, gather together as Christians, right? That's not what he's talking about. The day he's talking about is not Sunday. The day he's talking about is the day of the Lord, the return of the Lord. And why is that? Because as we read through the rest of the Old Test- or New Testament, as we read through the Old Testament, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, we read the Matthew 24 and 25, what does Jesus say? As the days get closer to my coming, it's going to get hard. Life's going to get difficult. The world's going to spin out of control. Have you seen that over the... Does it seem like it's spinning out of control a little bit quicker? It's going to get harder and harder and harder to live for the Lord. And you're going to need other people to encourage you and help you and walk with you and you walk with them. So he's saying, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as you see the day of the Lord coming because it's going to be harder and harder to live for the Lord. And you need people to help you do that. Now, here's the thing. That doesn't take place in this room right now. You're facing forward and you're hearing me talk, right? You may be hearing it here at this campus or at the Rosha campus or maybe streaming it. But you're listening to a sermon. You're listening to a lecture right now. That's not where it takes place. Where it takes place is where you're not sitting forward looking at, at a pastor teaching or a video or listening on, online. It happens when you're sitting in a group of about 8 to 12 people on a weekly basis. You're sitting there and you're sharing your life with that person, with that group. And you get to know those people. And there may be one or two people in that group that you really connect with. They know you, you know them. You meet outside the group. And, and, and essentially, that's what we're talking to about. We're talking about those groups. And that's why we're really putting a lot of emphasis of getting people connected to those groups. Because that's where the encouragement comes. So if something's going on in your life, you're struggling, you're going, you're going for an operation, or you're, you, you lost somebody in your life uh, through death or something, they're the first ones to know about it. You share that with them. And so we want people to be plugged into those groups on a weekly basis. And I think that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves, sitting in a circle with other Christians, as you see the day coming so that you can do this life together as it gets harder and harder. That's what he's talking about. So how are you doing? Are you in a group? If you want to be in a group, we can help you get in a group. But we can't come and find you and place you in groups. All right, so that's the first thing. So the first thing that can happen that, you, that can cause you to move into spiritual depression is that you don't have a support base. You don't have a group. You're not connected. 
Okay? Secondly, you're, you're, um, you're under attack. Notice that in verse 3 of 43, it says, where is your God? And like, and like I said, you look around and there's nobody that's like his friends. He doesn't mention, I have friends here, I have friends here. No, he doesn't mention his friends. He mentions his enemies. <laughs> and they're, I mean, you know you're in trouble when you have more enemies than you have friends. You know, when you can count 10 enemies before you can find one friend that you can think of, right? And, and, and that's the problem here. So you can see that we're you could see why the spiritual depression is coming on. The third thing he says, he says, uh, you lack physical vitality. Look at verse 3. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. Now, I don't really think that he's saying he's drinking his tears and that's all he's eating. I think the point he's making, though, is he's physically a wreck. He's not eating. He's not sleeping. He's physically a wreck. And that's where I think depression, physical and spiritual depression, are really intertwined. Because when you're physically struggling, it affects you spiritually. When you're spiritually struggling, it affects you physically. They're tied together. They're one in the same. And so he seems to be saying, I'm not eating, I'm not sleeping. So, so let's put this all together. He's not eating, he's not sleeping, he's surrounded by enemies, he has no support group. And this is a perfect storm for spiritual depression. You cannot live the Christian life. You can't live life, period, unless you have community, unless you're getting the rest you need, unless you're physically uh, getting the, the, the food that you need to eat and, you know, all the taking care of yourself physically and exercise and taking care of, of, of uh, having community and having friends. You can't do it. So here's the point, and, and this, is where, this is where it gets a little murky. Some people see depression only as a physical problem that's managed by taking a prescription. Others see depression as a spiritual problem where you need to, to buck up, to pull yourself together. And, and I've heard Christians say that, that you Christians should never experience depression. Well, that's just somebody who hasn't yet. <laughs> that's really what's coming down to it. Um, or some people believe that the Christian should never experience depression. Uh, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says you have an emotional dimension, so you need friends. The Bible says you have a physical dimension, so you need food and rest and maybe medicine. The Bible says you have a spiritual dimension, and you need the truth from God. We need to hear the truth. Truth will set us free. We need all three, not just one or the other. So a number of years ago, uh, three years ago, I think it was, we... Uh, uh, I did the rag ride. And if you don't know what rag ride is, it, uh, basically it's a ride across Iowa on a bicycle. And they call it the county, wheel, county fair on wheels. All right? And you go somewhere between 60 and 80 miles a day. Okay? Well, you have to if you're going to you know, do it in a week. So essentially, um, the first day I rode it, people said, we have to drink a lot of water. We have to drink a lot of water. So I had a big canister and I was filling it up and I was drinking. And uh, I think I drank two or three the first day. Okay, And uh, what you don't realize is when you're riding a bicycle, as you're riding, your, uh, your sweat is evaporating while you're riding. You, so you don't sweat, really. I mean, you, 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 your hair and your head gets a little sweaty, but essentially you, you, your sweat evaporates. If you're out in the yard working, you're dripping sweat. So you know, oh, I need to drink, I need to drink, I need to drink, right? So I got done the first day. And I was losing it. I mean, I was losing it. I was like, I was like, 
man, what is going on here? I'm not sure. And uh, I realized that I, had, well, I was spiritually, or not spiritually, but I was physically struggling there. And I realized I was dehydrated. So I, I began to drink, and I began to drink, and I laid under the truck and under the shade. And about a half an hour later, half an hour later, I started feeling back to normal. And what I think is, there are times in the Christian life where we're just going through life, and we're not taking in the Word of God, we're not taking in community, we're not taking in the things that refresh us, the things that give us, you know, refreshing life, right? We're not taking it in. And next thing you know, we're spiritually dehydrated, we're spiritually depressed, and we go, where did that come from? It didn't come because I did anything wrong. I didn't sin or anything. It just kind of hit me. And now when I read the Bible, it seems dry. When I pray, it seems like my prayers go here and <clears throat> hit the ground, right? What's going on? I think what can happen is we can run spiritually dry. We can become spiritually dehydrated. Let me give you another example. So let's just say that you are... Uh, on a cruise line, the cruise line goes down, and you swim to a, a, a deserted island. And let's just say there's a bunch of people on the island, and you're surrounded by water, and you're hundreds of miles away, and nobody knows where you are. And you have all this water around you, but the problem is on the island, you have no fresh water. You can't drink salt water. What does salt water do? Even if you boil it, it doesn't matter. If you drink salt water, what does it do? It, it just creates, it, it increases the problem you have. You become more dehydrated if you drink salt water. So you can't drink salt water. It'll, you, it, you'll die from it. And essentially, the, the experts will say that you can go around two days to a week Maybe. And by the time it's a week, you're pretty much out of your mind anyways if you haven't had fresh water. Really, that's what it is. So you basically are at a place where you are dehydrated physically and you are on your way out of this world, basically, is what it comes down to. In the same way, we, bec we can become spiritually dehydrated. Now, what do we do? What do we do? We drink from the springs of this world. And they promise, drink here, this is good. Drink here, this is good. Drink here, this is good. And you know what we're drinking? We're drinking from the ocean. We're drinking the salty water. And we wonder why we're getting dehydrated. We wonder why we're becoming dry spiritually. We wonder why we feel like God is distant, like our prayers aren't being answered. Like we're We wonder why that is. And I remember what Jesus said. We're going to look at this a little bit more, I think, in the, in the notes this weekend. Jesus, Jesus meets a, a woman at the well. Remember that? John chapter 4. He meets this woman at the well. And he says to her, I can give you living water. Living water. And the woman says, well, that'd be great. Then I won't have to come here every day with a bucket. And she didn't understand what Jesus was saying. What, what Jesus was saying, though, is he's saying to her, he says, you're drinking from the wells of this world. You're looking for things that men can give you. Because he asked her. He immediately asked her, he says, well, go get your husband. She says, well, well, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you answered correctly. He says, you've been with five, and the man you're with is not your husband right now. What is he saying to her? You've tried five wells. What are you looking for? You're looking for security. 
You want uh, a man in your life that can make you feel secure. You're looking for significance. You want to feel good about who you are and who you married is. will make you feel good about who you are. You want satisfaction. You think, and, and to a certain extent, a, a man can give you that. But you're asking a man to give you what only God can. And Jesus says, I will give you living water. In other words, what he's saying to the woman, he says, stop drinking from the wells of this world because they're filled with salt. And if you wonder why you're, you're going dry, spiritually dry and you feel empty it's because you're drinking from the wells of this world and it could be a career it could be the being a mom and being a good mom there's a lot of different really they're great wells but if we ask them to be god wells if we ask them to fill us and what did jesus say about that living water i will give you living water and it will come it will be like a fresh artesian well coming out of bubbling out of you in other words, Jesus saying, I will fill you up. He says that in John chapter 4. Notice what he says. Everyone who drinks this water, I, I, I picture him pointing to the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in them a spring of well to eternal life. Let me ask you a question this weekend. Are you spiritually dehydrated? Spiritually dry? Are you spiritually depressed? Where have you been drinking? Do you have a support group around you? Do you have enemies around you? Do you have challenges around you? Do you have people around you that aren't building you up and aren't encouraging you, aren't giving you a good word, but are kind of just tearing, you, tearing at you? Um, are you alone? Um, only Jesus can give you the living water. He's the only one that can revive your soul and your life. Okay, so now we know how do we get to this place of spiritual depression or spiritual dryness or spiritual dehydration, whatever you want to call it. How do we get out of it? How do we get out of it? What's the cure? So the psalmist basically is going to give us the cure, and we have to go through these rather quickly. The first one is this. He says it in verse 4. He says, I pour out my heart to God. I pour out my heart to God. So pour out your heart to God. Um, and essentially what he's saying is, God, I don't feel you. My prayers don't feel like they're going to you. My, my life doesn't feel, my life feels dry. My, 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 I just don't sense your power and presence in my life. Um, I don't sense that you're with me. Have you been there? Have you been in an extended time where it just feels dry? It feels, it feels dull. It feels like God isn't involved. It, it may be that what you're going through is a time of spiritual dehydration. So what's he doing in Psalm 42 and 43? He's, he's, he's saying, I, I'm not getting anything in worship. I'm not getting anything out of my Bible reading. I'm not getting anything. I'm going through a period of dryness. And, and, and I'm pouring, and he, what is he doing? He's pouring his soul out to God. But he says, but I don't feel anything. But what, what, does, he, what does he do? He still talks to God about it. That's what prayer is. He's, God, I'm struggling. Help me. That's a prayer. But, but, but don't ignore the spiritual disciplines of prayer and Bible reading and reflection. Um, quiet meditation on God's promises. Be more disciplined than ever. No, don't give them up. Be more disciplined than ever. I mean, if, if you're lacking fresh water, then drink from the well that Jesus offers. Don't stop drinking. <laughs> that's going in the wrong direction. So that's number one. Pour your heart out to God. Secondly, examine where you've placed your hope. Notice what he says in verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed with me, within me? Put your hope in God. 
for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, he uses this phrase three times in Psalm 42 and 43. He does it 42.5, 42.11, and Psalm 43.5. Now, why is that significant? He's doing a self-examination of his heart. He's realizing that his heart has basically been drinking at a salty well, a well of the world. And he's understanding that he's put his hope in the wrong things. Um, you know, David, real quickly in Psalm 3, David cries out to God. And what David is saying is very interesting. So David was a king. The people loved him. He, David wanted to be a, a father and a good father. And now he, in Psalm 3, he's, he's being pursued by his son. His son wants to kill him. And the people, and they don't like him anymore. <laughs> so he's lost two things that he really counted on in his life. The praise and approval of the people and the love of a son. He's lost them both. And in Psalm 3, he writes about that. And what he's, what he's understanding is, he says, he's saying, my son used to be my glory. My people used to be my glory. What I've done is I've made the wrong things my glory. I drank from the wrong wells. And they're salty. And they're failing me. And I feel spiritually dry. And so what does he do? He begins to look to God. See, spiritual depression or dryness can come upon us when we sin, but it also can come upon us when we place our hope and our heart in the wrong things, things that fail us. Fail us. Times of spiritual depression are good times for us because they help us to examine where have we placed our hearts. Where are we placing our hearts? Where are we drinking? Uh, are we drinking in rela- our relationships? Because relationships will let you down. How about your accomplishments? Your accomplishments will let you down. Your, your health, your health will let you down. So it's a good time to examine your heart. Number three, set your heart on God's loving kindness. Notice in verse 8, he says this in 42.8. By, by day, the Lord directs his loving kindness, his love, in uh, NIV says, but same word for loving kindness. At night, his song is within me, a prayer to God, uh, a prayer to the God of my life. So notice what he's doing here. He's thinking on God, but he's thinking on God, not in a general way, but a very specific way. He's thinking of God's loving kindness. That's a great word, loving kindness. He's thinking about um, how, and it's the Greek word, or the Hebrew word, hesed. Uh, The word means covenant faithfulness, unmerited grace, unconditional love. He's thinking about his life as a whole, and he's thinking about God's saving grace in his life. And we've seen that in the many of the psalms that what the psalmist does that, that, that gets them back on track is they stop looking at the current situation and they begin to look to God and they begin to look at how God has been faithful in their lives and they reflect upon God's goodness in their lives and how he's been there and how he's been gracious and merciful in their lives and it's turned them around. He's remembering the grace of God in his life. He's rehearsing the grace of God through the years of his life. And that's what we need to do. Number four, don't listen to your heart, speak to it. And then he says in verse five, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, I spent time a few weeks ago talking about how we've got to stop allowing our heart to lead us and we need to lead our heart. 
that we can't allow our heart, our heart will never save us. We need to save our heart. We've got to stop listening to our heart. We need to start directing our heart. And, and uh, you know, you can go back two weeks or two or three weeks and you'll find that. But in times of spiritual depression, uh, we need to wake up um, and say to our hearts, oh, no. Because, see, here's what your heart does. Your heart says, oh, no, it's terrible. It's awful. What are we going to do? There's no hope. There's no one to help. There's, there's no one who cares. And, and, and that is where we've got to stop our heart. We have to, this is Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was an, a preacher a number of years ago. And he did a, ser- a sermon on spiritual depression. And this is just a part of what he says. And I think it's really good. You tell your heart to stop it. Knock it off. Shut up and listen. And then you tell your heart about grace, mercy, and loving kindness of God. You tell your heart off. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself, question yourself, and preach to yourself. You must remind yourself who God is and what God has done and what God has promised to do. This is the essence of the treatment in a nutshell. We must understand that this self of ours, our heart, this other man within us has got to be handled. Do not listen to him. Turn on him. Speak to him. Remind him of what you know. So rather than listening to him, think of your heart, and allowing him, your heart, to drag you down and depress you, you must take control. So again, we come back to don't listen to your heart. Direct your heart. Because your heart's going to go up and down. And it's going to go off. Say, oh no, it's a lost cause. We're doomed. It's all over. Nobody loves me. I'm all alone. One of the biggest questions that we've seen over and over and over as we've gone through this series is this. Has God given up on me? Has God, in those times of spiritual dryness, in those times of spiritual depression, uh, we, we wonder. Because I think the biggest problem that we have during that, those times of spiritual dryness is, I think God has finally given up on me. He's not there. Life's not making sense. I'm an idiot and a failure. He's finally abandoned me. And you know what the New Testament says? You can find it in the Old Testament, but you can find it dramatically in the New Testament. The New Testament says, oh, no, he hasn't. Oh, no, he hasn't. Do you remember the words that Jesus spoke on the cross? One of the phrases that Jesus used on the cross was he said, I thirst. I thirst. Remember they took a sponge and they put it up to him. Jesus experienced cosmic thirst so that you could experience his living water. Jesus was lost for you so that you could be found. Jesus set aside his throne so that you can be embraced as God's son and daughter. If he went through this, for, through all of this, 2,000 years ago for you, why would he abandon you now? And the answer is he wouldn't. And he hasn't. He knew it all then and he knows it all now and he still went through it for you. Spiritual depression, spiritual dryness is often due to our failure to fully grasp the magnificence of the gospel of grace. So in spite of all your failures, all your doubts, all your inadequacies, God will never give up on you 
Never. He didn't give up on you 2,000 years ago. Why would he give up on you now? Jesus took the punishment we deserve so that we could receive his blessings. The writer of the psalmist closes with this verse. Well, I'll close with this verse. He doesn't. Verse 5 of 43. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. The answer to spiritual depression is something we will experience from time to time. It, sometimes it comes because we sin, but sometimes it just comes because we have been overwhelmed by life. But God hasn't given up on you. So take some of these steps, whatever step that you need to take, and look to God's loving kindness. Reflect on God's loving kindness and tell your heart to shut up. Tell it. Shut up. It's okay to say that to your heart. Don't say it to people, right? Just say, shut up. You bore? <laughs> I'm tired of you. And, and, and rehearse what God has done. Rehearse his promises. Look to the cross. Look at his grace. Look at his mercy. Look at his loving kindness. And you begin to look at those things. You'll come out of that spiritual depression. You'll come out of that spiritual dryness. You'll feed your heart what it needs to be. That's why Paul says, whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is... Think on these things. Change your heart. Change your mind. You got to do it. You got to make a decision. You're going to do it. And you need help. You need community to help you with that. And they will. You can't do this alone. Don't do it alone. Find friends. Find help. Help them. Have them walk with you. And they will. And you'll walk with them. But this is how we cure spiritual depression. Stand with me and let's pray. So, Father, easy said, hard to do. Uh, I pray that the Spirit of God would take whatever was from you and bring it directly to our hearts that want to go off and blab and, and be doomsayers and, and negative and just all those things. And may we just say to our hearts, stop it, shut up. And may we... Father, reflect upon your loving kindness. One psalmist says, your mercies are new every day, and they are. May we go back to the cross and remember that if you were going to reject us, that would have been the time. But Jesus didn't. He willingly went to the cross. He willingly thirsted so that we could be filled with living water. May we drink from his well and find our hearts filled by you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.